Okay, I'm sorry about that, you guys. Um, I'm going to pray for one more second. Yeah, so Lord, um, thank you that you actually have been preparing us for something. And um, I pray that we can just kind of receive and slide into um, what is next for us. And um, I just thank you for um, the people that you've brought here. Um, I just thank you that you... Um, you put the solitary into families, and I just thank you for my brothers and sisters, and um, I thank you for how trustworthy they you have made them, be it by your spirit, by the renewing of their minds. We've, I actually get to um, the privilege of hanging out with really trustworthy people. Um, just thank you for that, Lord, and thank you for what you're doing among us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm super grateful for you guys. So, I am going to finish up a series because that's what God told me. This is the end of a series that, you know, none of us talk to each other when we're going to share about what we're doing. And some of us, like Stephanie last week. Steph, when did you write your message that morning? The night before? Yeah, yeah, the night before. So, uh, you know, sometimes you just see something coming through and it is clearly the Holy Spirit because it all is just kind of fitting together. And I actually this, this morning went through and was listening to, like I listened to a little bit of that that message, Dave's, um, from a couple weeks ago, mine, the last time I shared. And so this I'm going to say is the final message, just because the Holy Spirit is telling me, like, this is wrapping it up, about us as vessels. Um, and we've talked a lot about that. Even, like, Noah is sharing about, like, having joy, and that is, like, being a vessel that can hold on to joy and not leak it all out. And Paula gave a message about... Um, uh, just the tongue and the, the power of life and death being in the tongue. And, and we all know, like, whatever's on the inside of you is what's coming out of your mouth. And so that is another really about being a vessel. Um, wow, so minty. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Woo! Um, and I'm, I was really actually very nervous and my stomach was hurting um, so thank you, Lord, for laughter, because I feel like I kind of ripped that Band-Aid off. Um, Matthew nine seventeen is kind of where I'm going to start. And I am sorry, I don't really have too many, like, long passages. Um, it's a little bit of this and that. But um, this passage, Jesus tells, the Pharisees are asking him, they're like, we fast, and John's disciples fast, but you guys aren't fasting. And he says, that the friends of the bridegroom will mourn when he's taken away. And then he gives a couple of analogies right after that. He says that, um, that you don't put a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. This is Matthew nine sixteen. 16. Um, for the patch will pull away from the garment and the tear is made worse. And you don't put new wine into old wineskins or else the wineskin breaks and the wine is spilled. And the wineskins are ruined, but they put new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved and so this is the vessel that we're talking about this morning. It's kind of like all these different angles of thinking of ourselves as vessels for the Lord to pour himself into. And so we're going to talk about us as wineskins, new or old. Um, and the choice is kind of ours. Um, and just that new wine that he's talking about, I'm going to talk about it more later, but um, just in the analogy, new wine is that a fresh um, outpouring of the Holy Spirit, like the Holy Spirit pouring more of God inside of us. And then um, the wineskin is the vessel that holds the wine or the new manifestation or the way, the new way that the um, infilling of God's Holy Spirit is going to like show up in us. Sometimes like the churchy Sometimes um, the churchy words can kind of, you forget what the manifestation of the Holy Spirit and the outpourings and all of this stuff is. Um, do you remember before you had the Spirit of God inside of you and what your internal life was like compared to now? Yes. Everybody should be saying yes. If you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, like there's a difference. And when God fills you with more of himself, there should be different things that happen on the outside of you as well as on the inside of you. Um, something that God was telling me about for a couple of weeks is the difference between when people are fragile 
and when they are sensitive. And on the outside, it can look a lot the same, where you would be like, oh, oh, I'm going to pick on just any old buddy. Dane, I'm going to pick on you. I'm sorry, you're just there. You got like a white shirt on. You're just highlighted to me. We'll be like, well, Dane, you know, like, he's, he's a sensitive guy. You can't say things to him. That could actually mean there's like a, there's, there's a fine, there's a line, right? It might be true that he's a sensitive guy, and what that would mean is he's easily moved. Like, you don't need to yell at him. You could just tell him. Or it means Dane can't handle being told anything, and he's fragile, and he'll break. Do you know what I mean? And so, like, the God was just showing me this is really important to know the difference between being sensitive and being fragile. Um, and it's important to me because I think I have a problem with it. Let's go to Luke. At the very beginning of Luke is the very beginning of Jesus. And I just want to show you um, two different characters in the um, unfolding of Jesus in his coming to the world and how, what this might look like. So Zacharias. So this would be verses like 13 he is John the Baptist's dad, and he is, serves in the temple. He's in the temple, and an angel comes and is um, going to tell him that um, they're finally going to get they're finally going to get pregnant. They're going to have a baby, and this is who this baby is going to be. But the angel said to him, "Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong." drink. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will also go before him in spirit and power of Elijah, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And then Zacharias Asked him a question, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. And I feel like I've taught from this passage before because it just seems reasonable. It's all right. He's just asking a question. But he's obviously not because the angel immediately answered him and said, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. So there's something going on with Zacharias. He's not so easily moved into what the Lord's trying to tell him, which is great news and something he's you know, he has doubt. They've probably dreamed about having a baby forever, you know, and he's like, we're really old now. And the angel's like, I am like, I stand before God, human. Like, what are you talking about? I'm telling you. So he is mute. And then later in the story, actually past like the part with Mary, um, John the Baptist is born. So he's mute from, you know, they conceive him in the whole pregnancy. He's mute. Um, on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. And his mother answered and said, no, he shall be called John. But they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who's called by this name. So they made signs to the father what he uh, would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, saying his name is John. So he finally gets in line, agrees with the Lord in public, and and then immediately his mouth is open and his tongue is loosed. And then it has like a whole fabulous song that he, or a prophecy that he gives. Um, he's just full of the hope and the joy and belief in the Lord. He's full of faith. So it just took pressure to, like the pressure on him. It, it wasn't, it didn't break him but he needed the pressure to get him to move into the will of the Lord. And if you go back and um, read the story about Mary being told, um, like verse 30, 
Yeah, verse 30-ish. It says, Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. It will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom there will be no end. It's like, and it, but very similar, I think, um, to kind of the conversation the angel had had with Zacharias. Like, wow, who's this kid that's coming? And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the Lord doesn't judge her. Like it is, she's just asking a question and, and he, God knows her heart. And, and so the angel just answered her. Holy, you know, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And he, he just gives her a really short answer. And then Mary says, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And then the angel leaves. So Mary is sensitive to the Holy Spirit and she moves into, um, into the plan of the Lord. She just accepts it and her heart is tender and moves there. Whereas Zacharias is kind of more, I don't know, crusty. Like, it just took some pushing to get him there. I think of um, kind of like the tenderness. You ever read the Gospels? And then Jesus saw some guys and was like, come follow me. And they were like, okay. And they, I mean, how many of us, like, when we're at work, would be able to, like, even get our brains wrapped around changing gears enough to make a decision about leaving? Their hearts were really tender. I think it's uh, miraculous and uh, like, I'm really excited to have a conversation with these people and with the Lord and just go like, God, what were you doing inside of their hearts that had them so tender? I will say they were younger men. And Mary, we know, was a teenager. And Zechariah says, I'm old in age. The older we get, um, the harder it, it is for us to move and to change. Um, and we can... I think it's a very rare thing to to see older or elderly people who have gone into humility and are soft and movable, not like a I've lost my mind kind of movable, but they're still soft and let the um the Lord direct them and they're tender toward younger people. I think that you can um you can know when someone's really embraced the humility of the Lord as they age with how tender they are to younger people and how much patience they have with people who are less mature than them. Um so yeah, being, getting older has got, like, consequences attached to it in our spirit. Um, it makes me think of, you know, some kids are easily moved by discipline, and if you've had more than one, you know they're not all the same. Some kids you can look at and say, oh, don't do that. I wish you wouldn't do that. I'm sorry, Mommy. And other kids, you're like, don't know take the tv away for a week hang them by their toenails in a blizzard like they don't care they're just like okay you know they'll go back and do it again and they just their hearts are not as easily moved by discipline and then there are kids like something's broken and they cannot be moved by discipline do you know understand like that's a brokenness and so um that is fragility if you cannot be moved by correction without everything breaking it's not a good sign. And the Lord, he knows how to handle all of us, right? So we know he never, because we've been told this years, he uses the least, I'm going to mess it up now, the least, it, it, the, the least intense means at the, something about deepest heart level, sorry, Tom. <laughs> God uses the least amount of pressure to get any of us to move. When you see the, I gotta be careful to not pick on people. When you see somebody whose sin is exposed in a public way and being disgraced, um, that God doesn't love exposing our sin. You can almost be guaranteed that the Lord is over and over spoken to this person because it is his nature. He uses the least intense means to move us. Do you know what I mean? Like, he'll have a private conversation with you at the side. You know what I mean? Um, 
in his love then he just kind of increases the pressure hoping that people will yield and and when we don't yield like anybody who's not yielding is going to break do you know what i mean like his hand is 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 slowly pushing so where we don't yield we end we do end up breaking um Think of um, Paul, who was still Saul, New Testament Saul, um, on the road to Damascus is where the Lord gave him a big old push. And what was the pressure that he needed? Well, apparently, like getting knocked off of his, what was it, a donkey maybe, Um, a a really bright light, an audible voice, and he, um, the Lord tells him, you're kicking against the goads. So you haven't been listening to my voice. And those are like... I guess they're like long sticks with like some kind of pokey thing on them to get animals to kind of like go where you want them to go. And he's like, you're actually even kicking against those. Like I should not have had to use those, but you're kicking against them. And that was Paul's um, yielding point. It wasn't his breaking point. It was his yielding point because God didn't want him to break. (laughs) He had something for him. Obviously, look at the New Testament, very important thing for him. Um, and so he yielded at that point. When, when we're fragile, it means that something or somebody inside of themselves, they can't yield. They cannot be moved. Um, and it was, I was thinking of um, elastic in old swim trunks. <laughs> if you've had, like, if you have kids um, enough in a line where you would pass, you know, clothes on and you get them out in the summer and you're like, are these still good? And you know how you know how swimwear is still good. You give it a pull. And I just, there's something about like the crackling of elastic that's done. And it's good for nothing but to be tossed into the fire. You can't even donate them because who's going to take, you know, a seam ripper and unpick old elastic to put new elastic in? You just buy new swim trunks because we're lazy and wasteful. Um, but God's like, okay, but like if I pull you, are you just going to completely fail and fall apart? And then you're, you're good for nothing except to be thrown into the fire. Um, the Lord calls people who are fragile, foolish. There's a couple passages in Proverbs. So let's go to Proverbs. Proverbs. 26, 3 to 5. I turn in my Bible, so you have time to turn in your Bible. So listen to this. I was just thinking verse 3 and um, what he said to Paul about the um, kicking against the goats. He says, a whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the fool's back. (laughs) Like, Paul, you are on the verge of just being really foolish. I am trying to get your attention. Um, verse four says, do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. The Lord's like, it's a catch 22 with foolish people. Like you're just going to end up arguing with them. But at the same time, you can't just let it slide. Um, you don't have to turn there. I actually wrote this one down. Is Proverbs 29, 9. If a wise man contends with a foolish man, whether the fool um, rages, like gets really angry, or he just laughs at him, there is no peace. And so it, it's like that. Um, if you're trying to reason with somebody and they won't move either direction except to just get mad at you or laugh at you like you're an idiot, like there's no movement. And so if you're not moving, if you're not movable, the Lord calls you foolish. Um, I heard my memory of this is so sketchy. And so it was a man who was talking about working in the prison system. And I don't even know if it was a ministry or just someone who's worked in prisons. But he was saying, like, prisons are full of, you know, like the big, scary, many times violent, like gang members covered in tattoos, like so tough guys. And, but what he said about them is, it, like, it's a facade because if you tell them one thing that they're doing wrong, they lose their minds. They cannot, they cannot handle being told that they're wrong in any way. And so being unmovable, like, it literally puts you, it's, it's the pers- a personality trait that will put you in a prison. Uh, 
maybe physically, but most of the time, yeah, it's going to put you, you're in some kind of prison if you can't move. Even if you can't see the bars, you are stuck because you, you are not movable. Um, if you are a fragile person, you are much less likely to be corrected by anybody else, which is not good. It's not good when people start giving up on telling you the truth. That's judgment. Because who, who else is left to correct you with a rod of iron except the Lord? So this goes back to that new wineskin that we were talking about, which is it is flexible and it's yielding. So new wine, you put it in and it's fermenting. So it needs space. Like it's got to have some kind of wiggle room or else those gases are going to make it burst. That's what happens. I was fermenting some stuff. Um, one of our friends was house sitting and I'm like, listen, you got <laughs> to burp the jars because there's gases building. And she's like, okay. <laughs> Um, so that's why it has to be like the, the Holy Spirit is moving and, and, and there's just, there's stuff going on. And if we're not movable, if we're not flexible, we'll burst. And just think about that. Like if God poured into me and I couldn't hold it, what happens? Well, I, you know, think about it. Can you guys think of any times like the spirit's been poured out, like maybe in revivals and that kind of stuff, and then it's just turned into a mess and ends up in the news? <laughs> if you can't hold it. New wine, it has to have an appropriate vessel to be poured into. Um, Isaiah 64, 8, it says, But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter. And all we are the works of your hands. Like this is, this is his intention for everyone is to be movable. Um, one thing the Lord told me is that he was removing lampstands. And this is very sobering. And I take this uh, for myself. Um, this was a long week. And I feel like the Lord, um, if nobody else, this was all for me. In, um, in Revelation 2, this is where he talks about removing lampstands. Um, and he says to the church in Ephesus, he told them that um, he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works and your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. So imagine he was saying it to us. This is like, this is a personal message, but I actually think this is um, a message to us as a ministry. And, um, and so if we can kind of hold on to that as a family, as a group, and God's like looking at us, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you can't bear those who are evil, and you've tested those who say they're apostles and they're not, and you've found them liars, and you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes. I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. The New Living Translation. Um, I liked this uh, verse. I forget what verse it is. It says, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. And feels like a broken record to keep coming back to love but it's like over and over again like if we don't have love we really have nothing and um so the lord said two big things they're both um connected to pride and rebellion of course um is the root of all sin is pride and um but the lord told me this is how you become brittle I was thinking of uh, the Princess Bride when he's like, he's not dead. He's just mostly dead. <laughs> we, you know, you're not totally dead. You're mostly dead. 
that pride um, and rebellion are the sure sign that rigor mortis is setting in and we're getting brittle and could break. Um, the first thing I felt like the Lord really wanted me to talk to you guys about um, is unforgiveness and bitterness. And um, that to think about first love, the first time that you uh, are the beginning of your relationship with the Lord in in a when you accepted him, not just like when you knew about him, but when you were like, yeah, I need you. I'll take some of that. Like, I need that. What got you needing God? Why did you say yes? Tom says that he was broken. Tim went up to you. He was crushed. We're not, what else? Like, somebody else explain what happened when Tom was broken. Tim was crushed. Right. There was a realization that you needed help and only Jesus could help, right? Like there was a realization that God was somewhere and you were not there and you were not okay. And um, it, at the beginning of the Beatitudes, it calls it, oh, what do you, the, um, I didn't write it down. Blessed are those who, uh, poverty of spirit. The poverty of spirit is the beginning of the Beatitudes. And it's the beginning of anybody knowing Jesus is, oh, my spiritual condition, it is poor. And you are very rich. It is the, the knowledge of our sin and the acknowledgement that we need forgiveness and nobody else can give it to us but God. And so this first love, it is completely connected to the issue of forgiveness. Um, Do you remember times in your life when you've been flooded with the knowledge of what the Lord has forgiven you from and how you feel about other people, right? Somebody could run your dog over and you're like, it's okay, you're forgiven. I've been forgiven. And how like kind of fleeting these feelings are. But there is something about like we catch it. We like we get things for a minute and, and, like, the cycle is completed. Like, we realize we need forgiveness. We cry out to the only one who can give it. We receive it. We're washed clean. And then somehow there's so much oil that it we're not holding on stingily to forgiveness. It flows. It's been a long time since I felt that oil from personally of forgiveness flow. And God is confronting me about it. Um, he, he says, this is something. I'm not going to put my spirit. I'm not going to pour my spirit into a heart that's getting hard, into a wineskin that's looking crusty, because I know what will happen, because he loves me and he knows what will happen. I'm convinced if we worked ourselves up and we begged God to pour his spirit out, that he would do it and it would be a mess. Like, I just think he would. But I think we actually know better than to beg him for something that we're not ready for. And this is one of the things that he is telling me, but he, he's telling Light Hop, we have to deal with our unforgiveness with each other, um, our spouses and our kids and our parents, whether they're alive or not, with um, just the people who have hurt us um, Bitterness, it is making us brittle. Let's go to Psalm 51 really quick. Sorry, should put a marker in this. The Lord, um, David, is this the Psalm of David? Yep. It says, um, he, he asked the Lord, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me and do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Like that's, yeah, don't do that. 
restore to me the joy of your salvation. Think of that. God, give me back the joy that I had at the very beginning, like that first love, the beginning of when I realized I needed salvation and I cried out for it and you gave it and I had so much joy at just being forgiven. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. It's that generous spirit that forgave us in the first place. And it's, we need a miracle, really, because we know, like, all the verses. <laughs> I don't want to come up here and, like, tell you all the Bible that tells you that we have to forgive. But the Lord is clear, like, I have forgiven a that literally there's no person on the earth that's ever been or will be that could ever forgive what I have done. And yet I hold petty things against people, just like the little things that some of it is even just my perception of how people have hurt me. It's not probably even real if I knew. And the second thing that the Lord told me that is... Um, it's all connected, and it's all connected to our pride, um, is this, this idea that we can change until. <laughs> like, um, if you don't know, if you're watching um, this recording or live stream and you don't know, um, y- you, were not, you were not just saved. You were saved into Jesus being your Lord, and now he's the leader of your life, and you... S- we bow down our hearts and we submit every part of our lives to him increasingly for the rest of our lives and throughout eternity. Um, I think some people are told the gospel and that part is missing and it causes a lot of confusion. But the, the deal is you become Lord and we don't just say Lord. It, that means something. It means you don't get to make all of the decisions anymore. You start laying them down a little bit at a time as he gives grace And so what God was talking to me about is that I'm willing to change until he starts touching certain things. My sacred cows, that's what I called them on this paper. Our personality is a huge one. I remember, Alice, sorry, I'm bringing you into this. I remember Alice once confronting me about being sarcastic. And I was like, I am sarcastic. It's my sense of humor. Um, and it was very offensive to me. And the Lord was like, your sense of humor should change. I was like, oh. (laughs) But God, if that changes, does that mean I stop being who I am? Does it? How much can I change, God? He's like, "It's, it's so much. It really sticks out to me. He's confronted me about a lot of things, but that one sticks out to me because there was something about it um, that uh, I accepted was part of my personalities. Um, The things that we like, the things that we like to do, the way we like to spend our time. If God touches that, and what, like, I saw, you know, I was, like, writing this list of all these things that he was bringing to my mind, and then I just saw him come up, and, like, you ever have somebody that just comes and they stand right Um, you're not my kid and I'm not married to you and you're too close to me. <laughs> like, you are in my personal space and the Lord is like, I am, I am invading, I'm about to invade your personal space. Is there anything that you would like to like transfer into my hands so that you are not so uncomfortable? The Lord is telling Lighthop, I'm about to invade your personal space and... Like, the way it would be very uncomfortable for a stranger to get this close to me. But Abriel can walk up to me and be this close to me, and I don't care at all. Like, she's my kid, and I'm used to it. He's saying, like, I'm going to come as close as, like, a spouse. <laughs> and if, if you'll start giving these things into my hands, this will be much less uncomfortable for you. And, and you'll be able to resist the temptation to, like, ooh, step away, you know, like you would for the stranger. Like, why the, why are you so close to me? Our ministry and the attachment that we have to what we've been told is, um, like, the work God wants us to do in the kingdom. Um, 
Think about the things that make you feel important or the things that you're getting told you're doing a good job at. The things that we take pride in, you know, in our houses, in our jobs, with our kids, with our neighbors. Um, who you are, whatever that means to you. Who are you? The things that you would tell people. Unfortunately, like in a, in a lot of streams in the church, it's like you get saved and then it's like, now you got to take a class so you can get to know who you are so we can plug you in so we can get you Jesus working so that you stick in the family. And it's like, you know, that can be really dangerous because it, it starts to make us feel like that is our identity and like who we are. What if Jesus invades your personal space um, about your past. He told me even, even wisdom that you've gained because you've gone through some things. He's like, well, can I touch, can I touch that? Are you, are you holding on to that wisdom? Or can like, I hold on to it too? Can you give it to me, put it in my hands? What if he comes really close about our traumas and our wounds and our hurts? Obviously, this month, our sexuality, our bodies, the way that our, I was like, the way that our bodies work and don't work. And like, God, can I, you know, can I put all of this into your hands? What we do with our bodies, the places our, our feet carry us and the things our hands are doing, um, the things that people have told us that we are. This is really important one because people have so much influence on us and people tell us things about us all the time that are not necessarily the Lord, even good things. Do you know what I mean? You know, if we're just like, Abigail, you're so sweet, you're so sweet, you're so sweet. It might just be because she looks sweet. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and if you're grabbing hold of everything that everybody's telling you and it's not from the Lord, like you gotta be really careful about this, good and bad our hopes and our dreams, the things that we want to do, the Lord is coming to invade our personal space. And what he's saying is, it, like, you don't become robots. It doesn't all go away. Like, you don't pretend that the thing that happened in your childhood didn't happen. It happened. Put it in my hands, though. And he's telling me, Jen, I want you to stop looking at all the parts of your life in isolation. Like, like I grab this thing and I go to my own little corner and then I start having thoughts and feelings, emotions about whatever this is, you know, about like even little things like my toe still hurts. God's saying, I don't want you to take the situation with your foot and go to a corner and look at it by yourself. I'll hold it in my hands like a grown up. I'll hold it in my hands and you and I can look at it together and we'll talk about it together. And that's where he's taking us, is where we stop self-isolating and talking to ourselves about everything, good, bad, ugly, important, unimportant. But we, we put it all in his hands. He's so safe. He's not going to lose any of it. And when it's time to be like God, this friendship is having a problem. Can you and I talk about it together? Can you, like, I'm looking at it in your hand. Can we talk about it together so that I get a filtered perspective? Like, I might dump on God about how I'm feeling, but he's right there, and he's like, no, 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 it's this. We um, were reborn, yeah, but we're, we're being changed into his likeness. We're being conformed. Um, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. We're being transformed. And the word for transformed is like a metamorphosis, which is a, a miraculous thing. There's something miraculous happening. That's why, that's why God has to put everything, that's why we have to put everything in God's hands and we have to look at it with him. Because when we, anybody can grab their stuff and go to a corner and talk about it or grab their stuff and go to a therapist and talk about it. Like anybody can look at their things and come to some conclusions and, and maybe even ones that are a little bit healthier, but only God looking at it with us is going to get us to some kind of change.
And all of this is our pride dying. What I just described, letting God hold. I mean, do you remember the feeling? I mean, I still have this as a 40-something-year-old lady. Like, if you're holding something and I would like to be holding it, I can get weird. I'll hold it. I don't like it. I do it myself. Yeah, babies. Abriel said, you steal babies. Yes, I do steal babies, too. <laughs> is that your baby? I will hold that baby for you. But... um. Yeah, there's just certain things that you're like, I would like to have control of this. I should have control of this. All of your personal things that you should have control of, it's, it's just your pride, the Lord killing our, our pride, if we will let him. We can let it live. But he's over and over. Like, I'm seeing it everywhere. I'm seeing um, friends in ministry on Facebook talking about this a ton. It is the issue on his heart. And, um, you know, one thing he told me was, you know, this, this month of, um, like, this idea of, like, gay pride, and it's just everywhere and infiltrating. And it's just such a clever thing because demons of pride, they do not care what you're proud about. <laughs> they don't. And really, it's like duping the whole church into thinking this particular area of pride, we have to make war on that and go against it. Like I've, I see people on Facebook who are like, for the whole month, I'm going to post a picture of me and my husband, like my heterosexual relationship as a combat against like this pride. And you're just like, wait, you're literally saying pride, pride, uh, you know, like demons of pride. They really don't, don't care what we are holding on to control of in our lives. And this is the bright and shining witness that we are going to be to, um, to the world and to this younger generation is, oh, no, the Lord gets a say in everything. <laughs> like, he gets, a, he gets to touch my money. <laughs> huh, that would kill people <laughs> if they really knew the Lord was like, I would like to touch your money. Oh, okay, you know, like, you get sweaty just talking about some of these things. I would like to make decisions on my own. I'm a, you know, like, I'm a grown-up. I'm an independent woman. I make decisions on my own. Yeah, so it's kind of an aside, but um, we all have to be really careful right now about just diligently seeing, like, the demonic attack um, of pride because, because it's being fomented and really, really invited. And so I would expect most of us are being, like, influenced by spirits of pride. So the ways that you're trying to hold on to control and you don't want God to hold on to your stuff, um, that shouldn't be surprising. And like we have to, if we, and the Lord promised, if we resist the enemy, um, he'll flee from us. And this is like, I have, a, I have a few more passages. But I just want to talk, um, all of this is leading up to talking about Light Hop as a ministry um, which everybody in this room, I would say, most of us are um, a, a pretty committed part of. The Lord, um, he says, without vision that people perish. Um, and that new wine, it, you know, it runs out. And that, you know, vision is not something that you get once and then you're like, we're good. So imagine like we got on a ship, like an old timey ship with the big sails and um, you don't like check the compass once and then sail for the next 90 days or whatever. I don't know how long those voyages were. We set sail and we're like, no, we looked at the compass. We know it's, I think we're, we're going in the right direction for sure. You'll get lost in the doldrums, you know? You'll get lost in the waters where the wind isn't blowing if we do. Um, I want, like, I don't really know. Does anybody know when you're on one of those big ships, like, how often they're taking, um, like, course correcting, basically? I'm looking at Alice because I feel the most hope that you might know. Yeah. Alice is saying the night watch is really about being able to see the stars and right, and being able to navigate. The night watch is about course correcting, Dave. Oh, well, there. All right. <laughs> Lord, we just thank you for the spirit of prophecy. Um, could God pour new wine into us? 
I think that I think we can't be afraid of asking him for it, like that we need to be in, like we imagine there's some kind of condition that we need to be in that, like, Lord, we don't want you to blow us up, even though it is very helpful of the knowledge of like God pouring his spirit onto people who are not sanctified um, is very, it's messy. It blows up. I mean, just think of, I'm imagining a wineskin like blowing up um, and, and then everything is lost. There's, there's no wine skin. There's no wine. Like everything is messed up and, and you know, people get divorced and drugs. I don't know what happens, (laughs) but we can't be so scared of that, that we don't ask the Lord for it. And, and I feel like a warning for us right now, um, at like, I feel like a little bit like we're at a crossroads is that I have a feeling that we're not really convinced that we actually need an outpouring of the Spirit. And I think that um, our hearts are hard to the idea that we actually have need of something. And I think this is a tra- I think this is a house of prayer trapping because we're in the house of it's like we're um, we're not coming to church once a week. It's like a, we're here more regularly, and and we are um, we care about sanctification. That, but I think one of the ditches that we can get into is um, believing that we do not have need. And and this is what Stephanie was saying last week. Um, if we believe like we have much need, um, I want to go to the story of Jacob and Esau in Genesis twenty five. All the way to the beginning. Mm-hmm. So like mm, 25, like 29. Now Jacob cooked a stew and Esau came in from the field and he was weary and Esau said to Jacob. Now, listen, he was weary. It doesn't even say he was like very weary, near unto death. Eh. The Bible says he was tired, and that's understandable. He probably went hunting, and it just didn't work out. So he comes in to the, you know, his brother who's been cooking, and he, and Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with the same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom, which means red. They were red lentils. Um, but Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. It really escalates really quickly. Like, whoa. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? Is he really about to die? Probably not. He was tired. Now, is his brother taking advantage of him? Yes. Is he doing something wrong? Yes. He should not have done this. Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he, uh, he Esau, swore to him and, and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. And then he ate and drank, arose, and went on his way. Thus, Esau despised his birthright. And um, a really kind gentleman... <laughs> Back in um, probably like 10 years ago at KHOP, I don't even remember his name, but he, I was just there for like a prayer set, and he comes up and interrupts me, and he's like, here, I just want you to read this. It was like a, one of those little books. Some wise older guy wrote, I don't know who wrote it, but they were wise. You know, the thing where it's like quotable, every sentence could be like a quote, kind of one of these guys, a tozer or something. I don't think it was tozer. Um, and, and he's like, just read this chapter. Like, he's interrupting what I'm doing, and he's like, read the chapter of this book. I think he was like the watchman of that for the, like, a six-hour thing. I'm like, okay. I don't really know him. And I read it, and it is about this story, and just, um, you know, Esau's sin was that he didn't care about his birthright. He didn't care about it. It didn't mean anything to him, and it meant something to Jacob. Jacob's heart, he was doing, he did a bunch of bad stuff. You read his story, you're like, wow, all right, you get to be called Israel. Okay. 
not the best character, but his heart had a value for that birthright. And Esau didn't. Um, and this word despised, um, in that last sentence, it means to disdain or to scorn, to turn your nose up to, or to believe that it's worthless. He had no belief that it had any worth. And Jacob did. And even though he got it, you know, his name was supplanter for reasons. But the Lord was like, he let it happen. Let's go to 1 Samuel 13. You guys are doing a good job. 1 Samuel 13. Um, and this is, um, this is when Saul, Old Testament Saul, screws up for the first time. And it was not long. <laughs> I was rereading this, not realizing uh, at the beginning of 13, it says, Saul reigned for one year, and when he had reigned for two years over Israel, you know, like two years in, and he's messing up. There's a battle going to happen. Samuel's like, wait for me. Uh, you know, I'll come and sacrifice. And he waits the allotted amount of time, and then he just gets impatient, and he does it himself. And then, you know, the high drama, because Samuel walks into the door as soon as he's done it, and he's like, you're in trouble. Um, but... But what Samuel, like the, the really the judgment or the word of the Lord towards Saul, um, Samuel tells him in verse 14, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And then look at Saul's reaction. It's in verse 15. Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin, and this is, this is Saul's reaction to this. And Saul numbered the people present with him, about 600 men. Do you notice something missing? <laughs> like some emotion? Like some caring? You know, if somebody was like, I was about to give you $10 million, and you screwed up, you'd be like, wait, what? You were about to give me 10 minutes. Like, please, no, I'm sorry. I, something, something would come up in you. And Saul is just like Esau. This is the, guys, I'm talking about the cares of this life. Esau was so hungry. He was about to die. Like, according to his own words, he's about to fall over. He sold his whole birthright. He had no care for it, for the hungry. And Saul is so going about his business, and all, he, all his eyes are filled up with is the battle of today. Wow, I think this is for me. He's so filled with the battle of today that, that, the, that he's told basically by the Lord, I was going to make your people king forever, and he doesn't, he can't even care. His heart can't even connect with it. There is a huge disconnect from his emotions. He's disconnected from reality. And, and he goes back to the business of the battle, which is, okay, what have I got? I'm going to give you 10 million. I was going to give you $10 million. Not. Okay, well, I'll just, I'm just going to go. You can walk away. I'm just going to go count what I've got in my bank account. Back to the business of the day. Back to where I was. And so um, this, is, this is what we have to be really careful of, is if the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is possible, but we're cold to it and we don't have an emotional response to it, like something's wrong, like we're disconnected from reality, and we're disconnected from our immense, immense need. We're a house of prayer like the Lord has put this building here, this, isn't, this wasn't for just any church. It was for Lighthop. The Lord has set it aside for night and day prayer and worship that we would be watchmen for specific things, that we would be watchmen on the wall, that we would be witnesses using our mouths out loud to tell people what we are seeing, to be salt and to be light, we cannot do it. We can't do it. This isn't, this isn't like a church. It's a, it's a house of prayer. It's different. Um, and 
the oil and the that wine that we had when we got going it like it's there's just no it's not a coincidence that we're 7 years in the oil and the wine that got it going it has run out and that's okay we were supposed to spend it right we were supposed to spend all of that and we did but we have to realize that it's gone and that we need more and that we need new Thank God that he is the provider and he's going to give it to us. Thank God that he's the provider and he's going to give it to us. And, you know, I know that I talked about a couple of ways that, like, we want to make sure we're a vessel that's flexible and not um, not fragile. But also we are. And it, I think it's time for us to be crying out to the Lord. You have to pour out your spirit. And it's not for magic tricks. It's like we literally need a spirit to stay awake. We need his spirit to be connected to the reality of the house of prayer, of day and night prayer. We need his spirit to love each other so we can quit, you know, all the ways that we're just kind of fake and polite to each other. He's like, that's, I mean, that's a crutch. You can lean on a crutch for a second, but I don't want you using that. Don't, don't become dependent on the crutch of politeness to one another when love is what was promised, you know, like, like that's your birthright. Don't sell it. Don't sell yourself short for a crutch so you can just not have an awkward conversation. There's, there's things that we need to be crying out about. Do you, uh, response team, do you want to come up? This is what I hear the Lord saying, and, and I... Um, I said it. I sent a message to Dave and Tom and said, "Will you pray for me?" Because what I feel like is we're at, we're reading the last sentence of a paragraph in a chapter, and and we can turn the page and go to the next chapter, or we can like go back and reread this one. And God's not mad with us if we go reread this one, but we don't. We could move on. Do you know what I'm saying? But we have to tell him that we've run out of a bunch of stuff in order to be able to move on. We just have to confess, like, where we're at. And if you don't care, then you, like, you have to repent and, and ask him to give you a care. He's the one who gave you the care in the first place. Um, yeah, so I'm just going to pray for us for this. Hold on. i got to say something now. God, we just thank you for um, the power that you poured out, the power that you gave us, that we were vessels that could hold it um, in the beginning. And Lord, we just say like the chapter's changing. Um, And I'm just asking God, wake us up to crying out to you for the new, the next, for... Um, us to be vessels that you could pour more of your spirit out into God. Um, I'm just praying for sobriety. Lord, um, you woke us up to to begin with, God. Um, I'm asking, um, wake me up again. (laughs) Wake us up again. Uh, do something that like we can't stir ourselves up to. God, we're, we're wholly dependent upon you. You are everything. You are the leader of this place. You are the God of this place. It doesn't, um, we just confess, it actually doesn't move. You are the oil that keeps the gears going, God. It doesn't move apart from you. And we desperately need you, Lord. I pray where we got too close to the thing that we don't feel thankful for it anymore, God. I pray convict our hearts, put new thanks into us, God. Put new praise into us, God. God, um, I also am praying that you would uh, bring people who are hungry for this place. Would you bring it? Lord, um, just thank you that you that you thresh and you winnow. 
that you send out invitations, God. You bring, like the tide you bring in and then you wash back out and there's some left and some are drawn back out to sea. And God, I just, um, just in fear of you, Lord, I believe like this is your place. This is not any one of our ministry. This is your ministry. And that you will remove and you will bring people in who are crying out for this so they can make the decision about whether they want it or not. God, I just um, I just put this place back into your hands and I ask you to forgive me for any way that I have held on to it. And ask that you um, would come again and come have your way, God. Revelation 2, verse 2. I know your works, your labor, and your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. 